0: Chapter Fifteen of Douglas Duane. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Douglas Duane by Edgar Fawcett. Chapter Fifteen. I looked into the little familiar sitting room on the ground floor. No one was there. A fire crackled on the hearth. "'sending its flashes in the early dusk of her portrait of him. "'Some reddish transits of light made the face leer and then scowl at me. "'I shuddered, drawing backward and putting a hand to my throat. "'Perhaps I thus repressed a cry that Millicent might have heard if it had really escaped me, "'for it would have been a keen cry. "'And the door of her apartment was open, as I found a little later, "'when I had passed upstairs and met her there. "'She came toward me with a smile. "'Her face was full of the most loving fondness. "'Dear Floyd,' she said, "'what a long time you have been away.' "'I shut the door. "'I remember perfectly doing this. "'My inward agitation was such "'that I felt wretchedly uncertain of my own actions. "'If some hideous betrayal of the truth should result... I desired no chance servant to look on it. She had drawn at once very close to me. She lifted her lips to mine and kissed me. She took my hand in hers. How cold you are, she said. I had this fire lighted. I was half-perished myself. It's such a sudden change, isn't it? Yes, I answered. Come to the fire, she went on, drawing me thither. Then she let go my hand and wheeled the big chair in front of the blaze. "'There!' she exclaimed, about to push me into the cushioned fastness. But suddenly she paused, laughing. "'You haven't taken off your overcoat, have you?' And she began to unloosen its buttons. I let her help me with the release from the overcoat. It fell into her hands after I was free from her, and she tossed it aside somewhere while I sank into the seat she had provided. And then, very quickly, she found herself another chair and placed it close to mine. At once, after that, she took both my hands and chafed them against her own, as though to dissipate their chill. ''Now do tell me,'' she said earnestly and anxiously, ''what luck you have had.'' ''What luck?'' I questioned. ''Yes, you know, about... She stopped short as I withdrew my hands and stretched them forth, as if to get the warmth of the fire better that way. "'About?' I said. "'You mean, Millicent, my dear?' "'Why, about poor Douglas?' "'Oh, Douglas, yes. How otherwise could I answer her? Plainly she referred to some quest or train of inquiry on which Dermot had started when she had last bidden him adieu, Of any such errand I was inevitably ignorant. There was now a little silence while I still sat warming my hands and staring at the blaze. "'Well?' she at length asked. "'I half turned my face toward her in my new anxiety.' "'Well?' I repeated. "'The monosyllable had an imbecile sound to my own ears.' "'She gave an impatient gesture.' "'You can't mean,' she exclaimed, with a hurt inflection just hinted in her voice and no more, "'that you would jest with me, Floyd, on so grave a subject as this. "'Or have you some good news that you are keeping from me, fearing too happy a surprise?' "'Good news,' I murmured, then with the necessity imminent of my adding something, no matter what. "'No, I haven't a scrap of good news. Did you think that I would have any?' "'Yes, I thought so, and I need not say as well that I hoped so with all my heart. "'You remember what they wrote us three days ago?' "'Yes. About that Madison Avenue property, I mean. "'If they did not receive advices from him soon, "'his failure either to communicate with them or to appear in person "'might be a loss for Douglas of thousands of dollars. "'Here was light at last. "'My New York real estate agents had charge of the Madison Avenue property.' "'Evidently Dermot had told her early in the day "'that he was going to visit them, "'and she now alluded to this accredited incident. "'Oh, billings and stores,' I ventured. "'Yes.' "'Then I waited. "'Well, you saw them?' she presently queried. "'No.' "'No? Why, you left me for that purpose.' "'I—I changed my mind.' "'Changed your mind, Floyd?' Her voice rang amazedly. I would have given a year off my life to have answered her differently, to have told her that I had seen the real estate men and that they had as yet learned nothing. But retraction was now too late. I could not contradict myself. I could only seek in some manner to justify the contradiction that my miserable embarrassment had perversely forced me into employing. Yes, I said. It seemed best that we should wait. I turned and looked at her full now in the firelit dusk. It seemed best, Millicent, for one very imperative reason. What is that? She quickly inquired. Douglas's own possible inclinations. My head, so to speak, was getting cooler as my body grew warmer. I had begun to see the sheer folly of not using what acumen I could hereafter i would be compelled in a hundred fresh instances to use so much how should i hope for successful deception then or anything in the least resembling it if i proved myself thus absurdly skillless and unwary at the outset of my coming task we must consider i went on that a douglas was not an ordinary person either in his disposition or his habits provided he has chosen to vanish from the community for a certain interval of time, may he not desire, above all things, that no effort be made on the part of friends and acquaintances to discover his whereabouts? Is not that precisely the feeling which a man like Douglas would entertain? I knew that I was making the most desperate and random calculations now, and I so dreaded the effect of them that her look of complete amazement found me prepared to meet it. Why, Floyd, what wonderful change has come over you! Think of how differently you spoke this very morning. You said then that you did not believe there was a chance of Douglas having deliberately buried himself like that, and now— Here I perceived an opportunity for using what would be boldness and yet not mere headlong folly as well. And now, I broke in, I have got to look at the matter in a wholly new light. So— "'Suddenly,' she faltered. "'I laughed. "'She sprang to her feet as I did so. "'The dusk had now become so deep "'that I could hardly see her face, "'but I saw that she was pale. "'Is it such a very short time?' "'I continued. "'Between morning and evening?' "'She made no answer. "'She walked to one of the windows "'which had grown squares of glimmering blue "'in the winter twilight. "'How dark it's getting!' she said the next instant she left the window again and came toward me with a little slipping step pretty and quite her own she crouched down beside me the firelight gilding her soft undulations of hair. i must be nervous to-night she exclaimed with a faint shiver they say these sudden variations of weather in our american climate are apt to set one's nerves all on edge I had a queer fancy then, such a queer fancy. I mean, when you... you laughed. And here she laughed herself somewhat brokenly. I imagined... but never mind, it's too silly. Let us hear what you imagined, I said. And now the letters in these words pierced me by its ghostly pertinence. Your laugh, Floyd, she explained, speaking unsteadily, was... Was so like his. Like whose? Douglas's. Really? She caught one of my hands and began fondling it. Tell me where have you been all these hours, she demanded. If you made up your mind not to go to Billings and Stores, why did you not come home sooner? I was somehow ready for this question. I had, in a way, already put myself on the defensive against it. ''Oh, I wanted about among the bookshops,'' I answered, as nonchalantly as I could manage. ''The bookshops?'' she cried with a new amazement, drawing her hand away from mine. ''Why, you must have changed your mind again in a most remarkable manner.'' ''How do you mean?'' I asked, turning toward her once more. She had her back to the light. Her face was almost unrecognizably vague. ''Mean?'' "'she repeated, rising. "'Did you not say yesterday—only yesterday—that you were tired of collecting books, "'and that you believed you would never add another to your library as long as you lived?' "'I bit my lips in the dimness. "'Did I say that, Millicent? "'Oh, yes, so I did. I recollect. "'But I suppose this craze of mine will go on for the rest of my life. "'I may make all sorts of good resolutions, but fail to keep them nevertheless.' ''That isn't like you,'' she said. She spoke quietly. She had moved several steps away from me. I saw the dark outlines of her figure and the fitful fire gleams playing upon the folds of her dress. But her features were all in dense obscurity. ''Have I always kept my resolutions with so much obstinacy?'' I inquired. She did not respond for several seconds. ''Not obstinacy?'' she at length said firmness immediately after this she went and lit two or three gas-jets of the chandelier flooding the room with light she moved here and there about the chamber for a little while pulling down the shades at both windows and drawing the warm woollen curtains across them while she thus occupied herself i rose from my chair beside the fire my heart his heart had begun to beat with a terrible perturbation had i not greatly miscalculated the taxations of my new role would i be able to continue it safely and yet how might one shadow of peril exist for me i was proof against detection could it even thinkably be otherwise suffer whatever misery i might she need know nothing of such ordeal if i wanted her to live. If I wanted her not to go mad, I would not tell her. And there was no one else to breathe the grisly secret. I went to the book-laden table set against the wall, not far from the fireplace, and took up a volume turning over its leaves. She came slowly to my side and put her arm about my neck, letting one hand lightly tap the shoulder that was furthest away from her. I had seen her take just this affectionate posture many times before now. "'Something seems to have gone wrong with you, my dear Floyd,' she murmured close at my ear. "'What is it?' I gave a soft, careless, deprecating laugh that did not shock her as my former laugh had done. I had studied, indeed, that it should not. "'Why have you formed any such idea?' I replied, still turning over the leaves of the book I held." and not daring to lift my eyes from them. I felt now, for the first time, that there was an ardour of passion within me whose mastery must include the simplest demands of discretion. If I once yielded to this witchcraft that waited my ensnarement, I should find myself so near self-betrayal that actual exposure would hardly prove less disastrous. You... you are somehow... What shall I say that you are? she kept hesitating and all the while i knew she had bent her head so as to see my face better you are not yourself floyd i don't know that i can put it any other way nonsense i said and wondered if the word was too curt or whether it was curt at all this strain was beyond my present powers i should be wiser to quit the room for a little while my brain was in a whirl one minute and the next it had a numb, leaden dullness. And how devilishly apropos had been that last innocent sentence of hers! "'Oh, well, I suppose it is nonsense,' she whispered very fondly, and then she kissed my cheek. "'You are not yourself, Lloyd, meanwhile, kept ringing in my ears. The touch of her lips had left behind it what might almost have been a little tingling speck of flame.' "'I kept my eyes fixed on the book which I held. "'I was moved far more than I had any premonition of being moved "'when I first crossed the threshold of her home. "'I still did not dare to meet her look. "'If I had done so, I might impetuously have flung my arms about her "'and told her everything, until she, in turn, "'had torn herself from me with disgust and terror.' i must get from the room just now and not only seek a more composed demeanour but seek to learn if my future could not be made exempt from these jars and shocks of guilty trepidation and still i dared not meet millicent's eyes while her arm thus clasped my neck delicate as that arm was it held for me the magnetism of a mighty attraction merely to gain a little time and with time a little helpful self-control i now said have you read this story and is it worth anything if you have she suddenly withdrew her arm floyd she cried i faced her then as placidly as i could what is it i said she pointed to the book that i was holding a look of the keenest anxiety now possessed her that book she went on and with actual excitement don't you remember why you were reading it aloud only last night she suddenly hurried very close indeed to me and peered into my face floyd she continued eagerly plaintively don't you remember i affected to glance at the outside title of the book and then said, with that assumption, of wrung annoyance which is often the easiest cloak of agitation. ''Certainly I remember. I didn't chance to recognize the type, and I hadn't even looked at the name. Here I flung the book on the table. My explanation diminished her surprise, and her vague distress as well. ''Oh, forgive me,'' she broke forth as I walked toward the door of the room. ''Are you offended, Floyd?'' no surely you're not offended i returned why should i be you're going yes to dress for dinner true it's nearly time isn't it she was fixedly regarding me again floyd she said well she had glided up to me with the swiftness of a bird answer me she began pleadingly and with an unmeasured sweetness in her voice and mien if you should ever feel unwell, even the least in the world, you would tell me about it, would you not? You, you wouldn't keep it from me? You would not have any fear of worrying me by letting me know? I should tell you, certainly. Her nearness thrilled and enticed me once more. She let both her hands rest on my arm. Her tender, appealing eyes, with their gentle, intrinsic splendor, which made them unlike the eyes of any woman I had ever met, "'seemed to brood wistfully upon every feature of my visage. "'If you are at all ill,' she proceeded with a faint, winsome, sympathetic break in her tones, "'our coming voyage will be of benefit, will it not? "'They say that sea voyages are marvellous cures for nearly everything in the way of human ailments, "'except when those are past all cure.' "'Sea voyages?' I murmured. "'Yes.' and that is why your decision about not doing your very best to secure some trace of douglas struck me as so so peculiar the time is drawing very near you know we sail a fortnight from to-morrow sail a fortnight from to-morrow it is my impression that i spoke these words though i am not just sure that i did so her own next words however i am sure of And this is my reason for believing that I so spoke. Why, Floyd, didn't you realize that it is to be so soon? How strange if you didn't. You said this very morning at breakfast. I took several steps away from her. I must have been wild for an instant. In God's name, I cried. Don't keep forever assailing me with what I did and what I said. I can't endure it. Floyd she pronounced the name with an intonation that i shall never forget it seemed to me as if she were rather repeating it to her own tumultuous thoughts than calling me by it or directing her observation at all toward me while it was delivered and then a horrible afterthought burst upon me as i watched her working affrighted face i had spoken to her in the voice of another than her husband i had spoken to her in douglas duane's voice this realization spurred me with a desperate desire to banish the amazement and fear i had aroused as she receded from me i hurried toward her millicent i exclaimed pardon my having spoken so harshly pardon me for but she waved me back her face was white i stared at her with a speechless doomed sensation while her gaze swept me from head to foot. What, what does this mean? She stammered. You, you don't know about our our going to Europe in, in a fortnight from now? I, I saw it by, by the way you answered me. My God, have you lost your memory? And then, then, that other voice, you... "'You never spoke to me like that. "'You never spoke as harshly to me as that in all your life. "'And—yes, you spoke with his voice.' "'No!' I cried passionately, "'feeling as if the floor of the room rose and fell beneath me. "'My torturing embarrassment had wholly vanished. "'I rushed toward her and clapped her in my arms against her will. "'I kissed her lips and brows in a frenzy of anguish and despair. "'Millicent! Millicent!' i appealed i am your husband how could it be otherwise you are mad to dream that my voice is his how could i speak with a voice not my own millicent she wreathed away from me with an audible shudder that i should hear if i were to leave centuries she staggered back from me and i now saw that her face was livid her eyes dilated your your kisses she gasped, pressing both hands against her mouth. Are not his Not his, Millicent? I had an infernal coolness now. Now when it was too late. Not whose? Not Floyd's I know. It would be impossible for any art of description to convey the mingled solemnity, accusation, and apprehension of that I know. She was so colourless and so in straits for breath that I thought she might swoon any instant. Millicent, I again called to her and approached her with outstretched hands. Don't come near me, she reeled back from me as she thus spoke. I, I first felt it when, when you laughed, there by the fire. I, I can't put it into words except to say what would be a, a mad thing to say but don't come near me. Then her face grew so fierce and bitter that she had the look of another woman than herself. If, if I were mad, which I am not, I, I should say that you were Douglas Duane. Douglas Duane. The name leapt from my lips. I must again have spoken in that other voice. I felt that all was lost and a fury of recklessness had caught me. She covered her face for a moment with both hands, and her form swayed as if it might fall wretchedly to the floor with each fresh motion. I darted to her side again, but as my first touch met her frame, she dashed her concealing hands away and stood bolt upright before me, with a hate and an agony blended in her eyes. "Douglas Duane,' she said with a kind of detesting hish, and as she said it she recoiled." i felt myself turn icy she had divined not guessed or imagined but divined the whole truth what the jurisprudence of the whole civilized world could never have reached her woman's heart her woman's nature her woman's soul her woman's love had instinctively unerringly effectually found i moved a little away from her I am not sure whether or no I screened my face. Perhaps I did not. Perhaps I only felt the light, a very blackness of darkness. But I must have put my hands against my breast, for in a little while I was conscious of the pistol I had bought less than an hour ago. There was nothing now for me to live for. Live! To live in this hybrid, monstrous state of being, deprived of her love for which i had drenched in the worst of crime the imprisoned soul that would ever taunt with untold irony its abominated toils what sort of life save clear dread unrelieved hell could such a fate accord me best to die but existence lay beyond death this i had known and tested there was punishment too or if not punishment a gloom A deprivation an interval of expiation what was it really i had not known and tested that i had only dimly understood it before the great night drooped over me whose day had been this horrid awakening but if millicent died too if both our souls went out together into that vast eternity with its light and its dark both such phantasms of reminiscence perhaps some mercy might come to me there at the last whatever the retribution was it might not be endless she would get all that divinity that exaltation that unspeakable happiness at once but i possibly in the end i might atone and so meet her cleansed of sin i might find her as spirit finds spirit i was a madman now I cannot elucidate my next course of action, apart from seeking to justify it. I must have drawn forth the pistol, and have hid it behind me. I retain a faint recollection that Millicent was standing with drooped head and shivering form, not far from a lounge, and that one of her hands grasped, as if for support, the back of a chair. It seemed to me that I stole almost noiselessly to where she stood, and then when the quick bloody act was done she gave a fearful start i recall this perfectly and as her body swerved i seized it bearing it to the lounge if she lived a second afterward i do not know i kissed her once twice and then felt the attack of an unutterable dread lest some vengeful fatality should prevent my killing myself my hand shook in a piteous way I recall trying to raise it with a pistol still clinched in it toward my head and failing more than once. But at last I did not fail. There are five other bullets left, I thought. I had used the first. It seemed the most thorough surety that out of the five remaining I could win what I craved. This is all that I can remember before I fired the suicidal shot following the murderous one open parenthesis note the remainder of floyd Demot's manuscript is brief but wretchedly incoherent on the day these final passages were written he was seized with that final fit of epilepsy which resulted in his death the writer seems to have realized his own weakness having been often interrupted before during the perpetration of his so-called confessions by similar fits of illness much of the two or three pages of half undecipherable writing which now follow relates to his comprehension of failing capacity and his regret that the wonderful question mark in parentheses law discovered by Douglas Duane should not have been scientifically formulated as he proposed in his strange so-called biography. It is probable that the last attack of his recurring disorder came upon him while he was writing, and that he struggled against it determinedly making sentence follow sentence as a drunken man might do with a conviction that he was forming a lucid and legible text nothing has been repressed in the manuscript here preserved except passages of so rambling and aimless a character as to harm the quaint and romantic value of the whole remarkable but entirely insane recital signed by the names of four well-known physicians in the bloomingdale asylum for the insane New York. Close parentheses. End of chapter 15